Anybody here ever at all in your life ever feel any kind of pressure at all? Well, it's a trick question because we all feel pressure. We all experience it to some degree. I remember when I was a kid, if I would fib and I would get the third degree from mom or dad, I was under pressure. Am I going to crack and tell the truth or am I going to keep lying, you know? Uh, some, sometimes we feel pressure when we're at work. There's this pressure to perform or to, to, to do well, or maybe, maybe it's a pressure of other people are giving you in your life, you know, and, and, and how do you navigate that? Um, not all pressure is bad, by the way. Uh, pressure can be good because pressure can produce something good in us. We just don't like to go through it. Can we agree on that? Okay. Nobody wants to be pushed and squeezed and, and, and nobody really wants to change. We just want to remain the way we are and we want everybody else to change. That would be great, but that's not the way, at least that I found out, that the world works. So we experience these moments of pressure. And what I want to focus on today is, is what do we do when we're under pressure so that we don't, we, we can line up according to the Word of God, His will, His Spirit, yet know that it's okay when we go through these moments and, and, and we experience pressure, uh, you know, you may want to make one decision, but your conscience or the Holy Spirit is saying do another. What, what do I do with that? And, and how do I navigate that? Because a lot of times what we'll do is we'll self-sabotage or we'll, we'll do something to explain away why we did what we did. But let's just have an honest discussion today about pressure and what the Word of God has to say about it. And today I'm just going to give you three steps. And there, there are three steps that I can give you when you're facing pressure. I want to tell you what the Word of God says about it, but just because I, 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 I tell you them doesn't mean anything unless you do something with what it is that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. Amen? Okay. So when, when, for example, myself or any other preacher you're listening to, and something quickens in your heart, a lot of times that's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you, and He's wanting you to hear something. And so my prayer is, is that the Holy Spirit will be able to speak some of these things into your heart and into your life. We're going to look today at Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to go through verses 4 through 9. And I'm going to read, it's, it's kind of a, I, I haven't really used the scripture as of late, but it's one I remember as a kid all the time. Um, it starts off with, rejoice in the Lord always, and what? We all know it. I don't even remember back in the 70s and the 80s, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Can you do that, right? That's the only part I waited for, you know. I like to, uh-uh. You know, I'd be hitting the, it was, you know, I think it's 70s, 80s. I was a kid, so, uh, and we make it into a song, but this is, this is the scripture right here. It says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. How are you all doing at that, by the way? Are you letting your gentle spirit be known to all people? That can be challenging. It says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, think on these things. As for the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We all like the end of the verse, and the God of peace will be with you. But when is the peace of God with you? The peace of God is with you when you focus on the things that are true and honorable and right and pure. Now, having said that, how many times has somebody said something, done something, and usually the first response in our mind and in our thinkings is not pure and honorable or whatever. It's usually negative. You know, it comes so quickly. Isn't that funny how we're wired? I mean, you, you could say something about me and it, it, was that a criticism or was that a compliment? And you get to determine that and, and navigate through that. And you've got you to filter those things out and know what is it that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. But he says, whatever is true, focus on that. It's getting harder and harder in today's world to really know what truth is anymore. It, it, this world, it, it's been going this way. Since I was a kid, I would hear all the adults talk about how, you know, we're, we're, you know Jesus is coming, right? And he is. Uh, can we agree on that? He's coming. Uh, and then they would say that this world is just getting worse. And I remember hearing that as a kid. 
And I thought, well, I don't think it's too bad. I'm really kind of enjoying the world. Now I'm the adult, kind of, sort (laughs) of. And I'm going, man, it just seems worse than when I was a kid. Was I just sheltered and didn't see a lot of things when I was a kid? I don't know. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that things keep digressing in this world. Turn on your news, and you can become depressed in 10 minutes. Voila, just like that. We can see uh, what the world wants us to see, but they don't show us a lot of the good things that are happening. When's the last time you had a news report that showed up this just in? You know, uh, so-and-so blesses another person. You know, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. We see all the negative. So it makes it a lot harder to focus on what is true. But we still have the ability because the question is, is how do you define truth? Is it the Word of God? Or is it some of the networks I probably shouldn't name, but just about did? (laughs) Is it your neighbor? Is it your family? He says, no, you find out what is truth according to the Word of God. Focus on that. Whatever is honorable. This is one that just drives me bananas. I, I cannot figure out where we lost this principle of honoring one another. It just drives me mad. And so I thought, I'm going to go look for some resources, and I'm going to go try to find something about, I mean, I, I, you know, I know what the Word of God says, but y'all know I don't just get up here and talk. I study before I come up and talk. And when I went and looked for some studying material, I could barely find anything that had to do with honor. Now, I'm not saying it's not out there, okay? I'm just saying, you know, you want to talk about the grace of God? There are scads of illustrations and messages and people talk about it. You want to talk about mercy, it's all out there. You want to talk about love, it's all out there. But you want to talk about honor, you're going to have to do some research. You have to sit down and really look. And so if it's that hard to find in the world, should it surprise me that I read in the Word of God that he says, whatever is honorable, and that makes me stop and think. That makes me be proactive and go, okay, what is it that's honorable? And what is it I need to know? Because if I'm supposed to focus on that, I better have a good definition. Agreed? If you go to math class and she says, I'm going to test you on chapter three, studying chapter two isn't going to help you. You got to study chapter three. And if God says, I'll give you my peace, but you need to focus on truth and honor, then you need to find out what he says if you want his peace. Better find out what his truth is and what he has to say about honor. Because this world is going to do everything it can to shape you and mold you into its image. And so you got to know how to navigate all the pressures of the world. Uh, There is no place that I know of in this world that is pressure-free. You know what I mean? Um, You know, pressure can be bad. It can break you. Pressure can be good. You know, you need oil pressure and all that in your car to be able to make it run and function. Uh, I don't like pressure when people pressure me, but sometimes there's good pressure where people will challenge me because maybe my thinking is a little bit off, or maybe I've made a poor choice, and somebody will challenge me. I don't like it when they challenge me. I'm just telling you right now. My flesh goes, all right. You know, I get in that defensive posture. But many times, what's trying to come across is they're trying to help me see something to make me better. i got to decide if I'm going to receive that or not. You're going to have to decide if you're going to receive that or not. But this world we live in, we got to remind ourselves, folks, we don't belong to this world. Amen? We are ambassadors for Christ, which means if you're here and you've asked Jesus to come in your heart, you don't belong here. Now, it's a blessing to be here, believe it or not. <laughs> I can't pay my bills. I got health issues. My family's crazy. You know, what are you filming? Like, it is a blessing to be here and have what you have. And you will face pressure in this world, but He gives us everything we need to navigate whatever it is that we go through in this world. But we have to focus on His truth. We have to focus on honor. Uh, in June of, let's see, June 6, 1930, <clears throat> underwater exploration wasn't really a, a, a big thing. And so there was a couple by the name of William and Barton, and they crammed themselves into a tiny five-foot steel sphere and plunged it into the water off of Bermuda. Let me show you a couple pictures. This one on the left that you're going to see is the original picture called a bathysphere. Have you ever heard of a bathysphere? Okay, it's, it's designed to go to depths that would normally crush a submarine, but this can withstand it because it has multiple inches of steel. And remember, this is 1930, okay? So in 1930, they plunged into these waters to a depth of 800 feet, which was incredible for 1930. So they went down there, and 
the pressure did not crush them because of this hard exterior steel structure. And they were able to look through that tiny little window. You can show the other picture. This is it now, all cleaned up, repainted, obviously, and put it on a museum for the work that was done. But a bathysphere was designed to go down to depths that they've never gone before without being crushed. And it was possible, but only possible because of the hard exterior. But while they were down there, you see that little window on the left? That little window right there, they had a light inside of it so that when they got down to the depth of 800 feet, they could turn the light on and see what was out there. And it was murky, it was you know dirty, but eventually as things settled and cleared, they could see fish. They could see life that was happening. And it dawned on them, they're like, why is it that we got to get crammed into a steel ball to go down to an environment that would normally crush us, but these dainty little fish can swim around and navigate this environment without feeling the pressure upon their lives. You see, the fish, they learned to navigate the environment that they were in because the pressure that would come in, they would learn how to filter that through their life and back out. They learned to adapt to the environment. And it got me to think about the fact that we as Christians, likewise, if we don't belong to this world, we're ambassadors for Christ, we're going to feel the pressure while we're down here. But we don't have to become hardened and thick on the outside. Five inches of steel, never going to let anybody through. You know, I'm not going to be kind to them because they might hurt me. I'm never going to have a close connection in a relationship because people can let you down. You know, you become a bathysphere is what you become. And instead, we as Christians are to be a people that can be uh, in the world, but not of the world. Is that fair enough? We can be in the world, but, uh, but not of the world. We, we can learn to navigate, but that means we have to be willing to hear the Holy Spirit. We have to focus on what's true. We have to focus on what's honorable, whatever is, is, is pure. So if we're not careful, the same thing could happen to us. Because what happens is, is anytime you're in kind of a submarine or a bathysphere or any other object that's designed to go below the water, if there's a crack, if there's a loose bolt, if there's a, just a a weld spot that's off just a little bit. That water, that pressure finds the weak spot and destroys it. And it's the same thing the enemy will try to do to you and to me. He'll look for those cracks, those weak spots, those thoughts that run through your mind, those fantasies that you think of. And, you know, and then the enemy tries to take that and run a little bit further because he wants to destroy you. That's his job description. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. But God came to give life and life more abundantly. How do we experience this life when we're facing all this pressure? You see, sometimes we allow the pressures of the world to squeeze us and shape us into the perceptions that the world has for us by maybe a lie that we believed. If somebody spoke something to us, you know, nobody, I'm not saying this to anybody, nobody that, that I can remember, remember off the top of my head said it to me, but if somebody could say, you know, oh, you're so stupid, okay? Let's say as a kid, you heard that a lot. And all of a sudden, you started to believe the lie that you heard. All of a sudden, you're in your 20s and your 30s, and all you can think of is, is how stupid you are. That's why you can never get this done. You can't graduate. I can't get a job. I can't make money. I can't because I'm stupid. And we buy into a lie, and the enemy uses that to divert us. And what we end up doing is this. We, we shrug, we sigh, and then we settle. And we just settle for whatever it is that's there. Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12. Uh, it's verse 2, but it's from the Phillips translation that I like. It says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remake you so that your whole attitude of mind is changed. Thus, you will prove in practice that the will of God is good. Simply stating that you are a Christian isn't going to be good enough. Do we agree on that? If you're going to successfully navigate the pressures of this world and, and somebody's pressuring you, you look at them and you say, Leave me alone, I'm a Christian. So, sometimes that's why they're pressuring you, because you're a Christian. And they want to know, when the pressure comes on this Christian, what comes out of this Christian? Because when pressure hits you, whatever's on the inside, it's going to come out. And it's hard to take it back. You, you all brushed your teeth this morning, or at least I hope you did. And when you did, you squirted some toothpaste on your, on your, on your uh, toothbrush and you brushed your teeth. But let's say that you squirted that on there and you changed your mind. How good is it going to, how easy is it going to be putting that toothpaste back in the tube? Not going to work, right? 
You could try all day and you're just going to be live with, left with a sticky mess. Nothing's really going to be accomplished. So it is when the pressure comes on us and negative things come out, you can't take them back necessarily. Now, now you've got to do some damage control, right? And, and you've got to maintain that. It, but simply stating that you're a Christian isn't going to be enough. Uh, when you genuinely seek Christ and you ask him to come into your heart and to forgive you of your sins, he says, done. It is absolutely done. And he does this. But running this race that you and I are in is going to require us to be filled. We're going to have to constantly be filled with his presence and with his spirit. And since God has not gone anywhere, he's always there. It's up to us to come to him. When we draw near to him, he does what? He's near to us. So when you're feeling the pressures of the world, the question isn't where has God gone? The question is, is where have you been? Where have I been? And maybe you say, well, I've been seeking the Lord. Sometimes when you seek the Lord, it seems like there's this gap or this, this waiting season. And I never like that. But if God hasn't said yes to what you're asking and he hasn't said no, then we have to almost assume he said wait and wait upon the Lord. When you wait upon the Lord, you renew your, but it's when you wait upon the Lord. So running the race is going to require us to be filled, to, to draw near to him. Uh, how many of you know that running a race, when you, when you run a race, starting is good, right? When the fire gun cracks, takes off, you start running. But you know what's even more important than that? Finishing the race, right? Finishing the race. We did Burry Scurry one year. Man, did I feel that for days. You know, we started the race, and um, one of my friends slowed down a little. And so I, you know, lovingly said, I'll slow down and run with you. What he didn't know is, is I was like, thank you, Jesus, he's slowing down. You know, but uh, I wanted to quit the whole time. But you kept having people that would, sometimes they'd be alongside of the road and they'd encourage you on, you know. Or they, you can do it, you know, and uh, it would encourage you to, to keep on going. That's, that's how we're to encourage one another. But running the race is important, but finishing the race is extremely important. So I pushed through and I made sure I got to the end of that race. This race that you and I are on, this, this journey with Christ, his presence is there to fill our lives. And he tells us not to succumb to anything else or fall victim to any faulty conclusions. Whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is honorable, think on these things. I would be willing to place a guess <laughs> that within the last 24 hours, we probably all have had at least some kind of negative thought fly through our head. Somebody cut you off in traffic. You murdered them seven times in your mind, right? You know what I mean? You go to McDonald's and you have to wait more than 10 minutes. Somebody's getting fired. Hey, you know how we just kind of do, they, they just kind of jump in there. You don't really, yeah, you know, they just kind of happen. But we have to be quick to make sure to catch those thoughts, submit them to Christ. Lord, I don't want my mind to wander. I'm submitting that to you. And you bring it back into his, into his presence. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, Greater is he that's within you than, help me out, anything else in this world. Yeah. Greater is he that's within you while you run this race and face the pressure that you face. But whatever it is you're facing, what's inside of you is greater than the actual you. Well, how do I tap into that? Draw near to him. He draws near to you. He reveals to you. You and I, when, when you and I are in the depths, he's saying, don't give up. Don't give in, don't throw in the towel, because his strength will help you press through and get where it is that you need, excuse me, where you need to go. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, if you aim at heaven, you will get earth thrown in. If you aim at earth, you will get neither. He says, always aim at heaven. Have a goal. You're going to face pressure, but don't give up, don't quit. If I were to paint a bullseye on the wall over here, and I, I, I gave you guys, you know, bow and arrow on that. And I said, see if you can hit the target. Let's say some of you said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And you went way left or way right. Or maybe you stabbed me in the leg with one of them. I don't know. You missed the target, but you tried. You know, the, the, the percentages of you hitting the target vary depending on how good you are with the bow and arrow. But if you said, I'm not even going to try, I can tell you the percentage of how many times you'd hit the target. Zero. Because you never gave it a shot. You never tried. 
But yet, we've got a God that loves us and says in Hebrews 11, or uh, Hebrews 13, 5, he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Did you know that includes when you're under pressure? When you're, you're facing difficult times? As a matter of fact, uh, the Word of God says that he's nearer to you when you're going through the most difficult times. How many of you have ever had such a difficult time and heard somebody like a pastor like me say that's usually when he's the closest, and you went, well, it sure doesn't feel like it. Me too. That's why we don't live by feelings, we live by faith. Here's what we have to understand. I put a bullet at the top of your outline. Realizing God's presence in your life and gaining the confidence to rebuild are only the beginning. Now comes the most important part. Applying them. Applying them. Realizing God's presence in your life and gaining confidence to rebuild is very good, but it's only the beginning. Now you have to do something with it. You have to do something with it. When you start a race well, the fact that you started well doesn't exempt us from the responsibility of finishing well. We've talked about that already. See, salvation is not a place of arrival. Uh, it's an admission. When you and I were saved and we said, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, done. Here's your ticket to heaven, right? I, I, I know I'm making it sound very simple right now, but he says, I've already paid the price. I've already done the work. So salvation is admission. It, but it doesn't mean that once you say yes to Jesus that you can turn on the cruise control and fall back into your old lifestyles. Because what Christ wants to do is transform our lives, Salvation is giving us admittance into God's perfecting program of restoration. Has anybody here ever restored anything, whether it was a car, some kind of an antique? I, I, I can't even think of many examples, but you know, we've got TV shows all over the place where, where people will take, flip this house and they'll take an old house and they'll restore it. Well, what does that mean? Well, you take something that's a piece of junk or it looks like a piece of junk and they invest in it and there's work that's done in order to transform the old and make it look brand new. Same thing with a, gar, a car. You take an old car and it's all rusted and worn out and the tires are all just kind of shot. And they, they, they invest in it. They pay a price. They do the work. And all of a sudden, they've got this, this uh, uh, antique model type of car because there was a restoration that took place. I don't know about you. I, I'm sure this has happened, but I can only speak for myself. I remember when I was lost without Jesus, and when Jesus found me, it was like finding the rattiest car in the, in the dump, you know, is what it felt like, but Jesus took me, cleaned me up, transformed me, and restored me, and he did the same thing for you when you said yes to Jesus. So, so no matter what pressure you go through, there is great value in your life that God has, and he says, I am there for you. That's why he says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So excellence is not necessarily defined as a state of being or this place of arrival or a position. Um, let, let's look at Solomon in the Bible. Solomon's legacy to discover something about God's presence. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. It's up on the screen there. Let's read that one together. You ready? Go. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. Now, wisdom is good. Yes? How do we... A wise man will hear, and then how do we tell if a person's becoming wiser? They increase. They increase. But not in money, or houses, or relationships. They increase in learning. They can enjoy all those things. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with having those things. There's every, everything wrong with those things having you. He says that you learn. It's about learning. God says a wise person is defined as one who is increasing. Wisdom is a process. It's a lifestyle. It's an ongoing way of, of living. It's not just some location that you, uh, you arrive at. A, a, a heart of wisdom is found not in someone who has arrived as much as it is in someone who is learning along the way, to which I think we can all say thank you, Jesus, for that. I know more now than I knew before, back when I thought I knew everything. Did you follow that? Trust me, I knew everything. Just ask me, I would have told you. <laughs> uh, back since my teenage years, you know. I know, I know, I know, I know. You know, I get defensive. But then all of a sudden, I'd have to learn some lessons. And I learned, increased in my wisdom, that I, maybe I don't know everything. And I had to make room for the Holy Spirit. 
And I had to start letting him pour into my heart and into my life. See, we are not a perfect people, but we are in a perfecting process. It's a journey. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. We grow from glory to glory. So it's this process of being transformed. So you said, Pastor, there's three steps. What are they? Step number one. When we're under pressure, what do we do? Write down step number one. Don't be afraid to dream. These points I'm going to give you are going to sound simple. But unless you do something with them, they will not become effective in your life. And the first one is this. Don't be afraid to dream. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. This is when we've probably heard this verse before, but it, it says, It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. One of the greatest tragedies that I believe we have today is many people stopped dreaming. Many people in this very room right now, watching online, have stopped dreaming. Not because necessarily they even want to stop, but the pain of uh, of maybe feeling like that dream won't come true is greater than actually just trying. So I'm just going to kind of stop. I'm just going to give up. It's one of the things that have happened around the world, around the world, where people have stopped dreaming once again. Edgar Allan Poe said, "Those who dream by day are cognizant of many things that escape those who dream only by night." In other words, dreaming at night, there's a difference between a dream that God gives you in your in your heart and in your life. How many of you, yeah, dreaming's not bad. How many of you, when you go to sleep, you dream? You dream dreams? Some people don't. Anybody not dream? You just sleep? Yeah, that happens. Let me ask you this. I'm chasing a rabbit. It's not a big deal. How many of you here dream in color? Anyone dream in color? How many of you dream in black and white only? Yeah? How many of you dream in high definition? I don't know how to judge that one. I didn't know that until I was talking with somebody and they, I, I was telling them my dream. And, and I think this all has to do a lot with how we're wired by God. But, but you know, I, I dream in color. It's vibrant. And I mean, sometimes I, I just, I, it's almost like I can even, if I'm dreaming about something that has a, a scent to it, it's almost like I can smell it in my dream or something. It's just very vivid in that. Dreaming when we go to bed, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a dream. But it's a dream that we're having while we're sleeping. And you've got to know that a dream, sometimes God can speak to you through your dreams at, at nighttime. Okay? I'm not saying that he can't. But I'm saying that every time you dream at night isn't necessarily from God. It could have been the pepperoni pizza you had at 1130 at night that gave you indigestion and woke you up at 2 in the morning. And when you went to bed and that horrible monster came to destroy your house, that probably was not God. Okay? Most likely. But the dreams we're talking about is the dreams that he puts in your heart. The ones where he says, here's what I, I've called you to be. Here's where I want you to launch out. Here's some, here's some things that are crazy thoughts. And I've had some crazy dreams. I'm a dreamer. I'm a dreamer. And, and here's the thing about dreamers. What dreamers don't like is they don't know how to necessarily get the dream done. So they got to they gotta learn from people who know how to get it done. But you see, those people that know how to get it done don't necessarily always know how to dream, but it doesn't change the fact that God puts a dream in every one of our hearts, a goal that he wants us to achieve. And I've had a lot of dreams, and let me tell you, let's just say I had 100 dreams. Maybe three of them came true and the rest didn't. But I tell you what, if I would have just gave up and said, that's probably not going to happen, then nothing would have ever happened. I probably wouldn't be here uh, today. But it was a dream that, that was pursued. Don't be afraid to dream. In this world, people have stopped dreaming. Here's my challenge number one. Would you, would you do this today? And maybe the Holy Spirit's already kind of started talking to you where you're, he's kind of going, <clears throat> <clears throat> you know, inside your spirit. You know, you, you listening to this? You hearing this? I told you to dream and you kind of told me you can't and told me why this can't happen. But I want you to go home and just ask the Lord, Lord, where have I stopped dreaming? Where have I stopped dreaming? And then what, what do you have to say about that? Do, do I pick that up again? Or maybe there's a, you're at a place where you're like, I, I've never really thought of it this way. I've never even asked the Lord. Then just go home and say, Lord, what dream do you have for me? What dreams, goals uh, that, that I could accomplish? What do you have for me? And he will speak to you. He will speak to you. 
And those are dreams that he puts in your heart. J.M. Power, which you probably don't know that name, but he made this comment and said, the best way to make your dreams come true is to wake up. (laughs) It's to wake up. Too many people remain asleep because they want to live in the dream world rather than take a dream that God gives and make it become something that's a reality. People have lost vision for what their future could hold. Our dreams for our marriages, our jobs, our lives, they've become blurred. They've become marred by past mistakes, broken expectations. Uh, The dreamer inside of us no longer believes. And it shuts down. And what do we do? We shrug. We sigh. And then we just settle. We just settle. I'm challenging you to dream once again. Dream. Not what does your wife dream for you. Not what does your kids dream for you or you dream for them. What does God have to say to you about your dream? When Joel said your old men will dream dreams, it doesn't mean that he was saying, well, when you get gray hair and you don't have your own teeth and all that stuff, then all of a sudden you'll start to have dreams. That's not what he was saying there. What he was saying is this. It's never too late to dream again. It's never too late. God knew that we were going to stop dreaming in those last days. So he said, I'm going to pour forth my spirit in a way to help you dream once again. So we must not be afraid of of the dream. He's going to help us do it. Start to dream again. And if you're here and you say, well, pastor, I've tried and I've been hurt so much. I'm challenging you. Dream once again. Why? Because his word says his Holy Spirit is there waiting to pour forth into you. When? When you draw near to him. How? When I focus on what is true, on what is right, what is honorable. Dream once again. I think it was Martin Luther King Jr. who said it, right? I have a dream. That I have a dream. Never underestimate the compelling power of a dream. It was the grand opening of Walt Disney World in Florida. Uh, Walt had passed away. His wife, his, his uh, widow was there, Lillian. And she was in attendance with all the architects and engineers and all the other dreamers and builders that were there to, to present and to open up this massive complex. It was, just, it, was, it was amazing. And one of the architects looked at her and said, Mrs. Disney, I, I, I just sure wish Walt was here to see this. And she looked back at the architect and said, he did see it. That's why it's here. You see, it started with the dream. Not with the construction, with the ticket sales or the many, 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 many balloons. It was about the dream. Here's what Walt Disney said in one of his books. He is quoted as saying, first think, second believe, third dream, and then finally, dare. That's where most of us stop, dare. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know if I can do that. I'm too much at risk. Dare. But what if, what if, I, what if I fall down? Get back up. But what if I fall down again? Get back up. But what if it hurts? It might get back up. Get back up. Nothing happens until we start to dream. So don't stop dreaming. Someone was once quoted saying, dream no small dream, for they have no power to move the hearts of men. Dream big dreams. And then number two, step two, be willing to pay the price. Dream big dreams, or be willing to dream again, and then be willing to pay the price. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 3 says, For the dream comes through what? Much effort. And we don't like this part, okay? I'm just saying. We we don't like this part because, okay, pastor, you just told me to dream, and this is why I quit because there's a lot of work to it, right? It, It comes through much effort, but what that simply means is you have to put forth an effort that when God gives you a dream, you're going to do something with what it is that he gives you. Dreams fulfilled come at a price. Salvation is free. Everything else has a price tag to it, whether you know it or not. If you want a good marriage, then let me tell you something. It's going to cost you. I want a healthy relationship. I want us to be happy and, and you know, never fight. Okay, wake up first of all, because that's not going to happen. There's always challenges and pressures in marriage. All the married people said, amen, right? But it's what you do in the middle of that, of that challenge. A good, healthy marriage comes because you put forth much effort into it. Well, I want a good business. I want it to succeed, and I want to make all this money and be able you know, just, just to, to grow. You can do it, but it will cost you something. You're going to have to put effort into that. Well, what's the price of capturing God's dream in your life? 
Nothing less than your willingness to build the depth of character that is required to sustain the weight of the dream. You just got to build that character. Say, Lord, this is the dream that I have in my heart. What kind of character do I need to develop so I can, I, I can hold that in place? Small dreams don't require much, but God-sized dreams require God-sized character. Now notice, to dream a small dream, it doesn't take much. But God-sized dreams, guess, guess who that's on? It's on the Holy Spirit. It's on God. He says, I'll develop that character in your life if you'll give me access. Uh, Robert Schuller, the man who said, yes, you can be a dreamer and a doer too if you will remove one word from your vocabulary. Now, one word is impossible. Impossible. Character does not come cheap. It comes at a price. The price of getting down onto your knees and, and praying and studying the Word of God and, and, and understanding what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Philippians chapter 3, this is verses 8 and 11. It says, Everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So whatever it takes, I will be the one who uh, lives in the fresh newness of life. I want you to look at that verse. Is it in your outlines there? Write down, if it's not in Philippians chapter 3, and there's three important words right there, whatever it takes. So whatever it takes, I will be the one who lives in the fresh newness of life. Make sure that you and I are the ones that are, are doing whatever it takes. Paying the price, building character in our life. Well, what, Pastor, what if the price is suffering? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, which I can agree, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it's the living translation, or the, the living Bible, says, this suffering is all part of the work of God that he has given to you. Christ, who suffered for you, is your example. Follow his, follow his steps. Suffering for the sake of spiritual growth is something that Jesus did and we're to follow him. But yet, we don't like to suffer, do we? Anybody, I put a sign-up sheet. Everyone, we're going to do suffering at 2 p.m. this afternoon, sign up. Nobody's going to sign that sheet. Nobody wants to go and, and suffer if they don't have to. But yet, when we do face it, what we do is we get on our knees and we recalibrate ourselves to say, Lord, help me to dream once again. And then help me to know what it means to pay the price at all costs. So I'm lining up with your word. Because if you don't do that, uh, these words will be in your vocabulary. I quit. I give up. I'm done. We start saying things like that. And that's never what God has desired for us. Well, what, Pastor, if, if, if I'm at my quitting point, what do I do? Well, we all have quitting points, all right? We all have times when we, when we, 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 we got to stop. But his word says that when it's his dream and he's revealing it in your life, he says, keep on going because greater is he that's within you than anything else in this world. And always remember that the measure of a man or woman is determined by what it takes to derail them from their commitment. What is it that derails you? You know, what is it that distracts you? The enemy is constantly pushing our buttons, isn't he? You ever have anybody push your buttons? You know what I mean by that? You know, and they start saying things and and, and doing things, and they push your buttons. The enemy's a master at this. Again, job description. Steal, kill, destroy, annoy, frustrate, irritate. There's a whole list I come up with for the enemy, but it doesn't change the fact. But, but God came to give me life. God wants me to dream once again, no matter what the cost, and build that character into my life. Aristotle said this, We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. It's a, it's a habit. It's a rhythm that we must develop in our life. So he tells us to dream once again and be willing to pay the price. And then lastly is this, step three, then enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. Psalms chapter 16, uh, verse 11. Up on the screen, let's read this one together. You ready? Go. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand, there are pleasures forever. There are going to be plenty of challenges in life. There's going to be hills to climb. Uh, may they, hear this from my heart, may they never overshadow the joy that we experience along the way. 
Every hill that you face, every mountain that you must climb, may they never overshadow the joy that you experience along the way. Joy, by the way, and I've said it many times before, if you're waiting for joy to show up in your life, it's probably not going to happen. Happiness will, but happiness only comes as a result of somebody doing something nice for you. Joy is a choice. You must choose it, even when you're under pressure and going through difficult times. There's a book in the Jewish writings, the Talmud, it says, and it teaches this. God is going to hold us accountable for all the things that he put on this earth for us to enjoy, but yet we never took time to do so. He says, choose joy. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, the joy of the Lord is my what? Boom, strength. It's my strength. Many times we limp along dragging all this baggage from our past and all these hurts and all these wounds. And he says, choose joy. God provides it in our life, but sometimes we forget to take joy along with us on this journey. Start looking around for what is right. Start looking around for what is good. And I know, I know when you look for it, you're going to see five bad things on your way to look for that good thing. But don't stop. Don't get distracted. Find, what's one thing today that you are happy about? <clears throat> you can answer that in the quietness of your own mind. Now, here's another. What's one thing that you can choose to be joyful about, regardless about how you feel? What's one thing that maybe you need to choose to be joyful about, regardless of how you feel? Because in this world, life is going to drain us. I, I've shared this before, what fills your tank, what drains your tank. But I, I put it in there. This is your little insert, okay? This is your homework. And here's what I want you to do. And this is going to sound kind of weird at first, okay? But I want you to know that we as Christians leak, okay? Yes, you heard me correctly. We leak. What do you mean by that? I mean, no matter how full you are of the presence of God, when time marches on, it kind of just leaks away. Life has a way of doing that, right? In this world, you have trials and tribulations. See, that output down there at the bottom, it just, life has a way of draining us. And so we must do something to put into that tank. And the more that we put into that tank, the fuller it stays, the better we will feel or the better we will experience life. Now, this is, a, this is, a, uh, this is an exercise in focusing on, on filling yourself, not just spiritually, but practically as well. Because if you don't, here's what happens. This is, and you can kind of see it maybe uh, as we go through it. <coughs> if you never fill your spirit, if you never make time to, to fill your tank with whatever that means, whether it means spiritually or practically, both, then the, the water line starts to go down. And when it gets to that top level, it's what we call an anxiety breakdown. It's when you get to the level where there's no input into your life, but life is still draining, the water level goes down, and you get to this point where you become anxious about everything. You're worried, you're concerned, you can't stop thinking about things. It just it starts to work at you and eat away. When, when you recognize that, that's a good time to say, man, what in my life is draining me and what is it that fills my tank? And then act accordingly. Because if you don't, it goes down to the next level. And as you drain that down, it goes down to an emotional breakdown. And <clears throat> we've probably all maybe, I don't know, somebody comes to your mind, but or maybe we've experienced, but you get to that point of emotional breakdown. And this is the part where it becomes just what it says, emotional. I mean, we're just worked up and we, we can cry at the drop of a hat. There's nothing wrong with crying, but we're emotional and we don't necessarily know why. And, and, and everything just starts to get stirred up and, 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 and so many things can, can pop up in that arena. And if you don't do anything yet at that point to fill the tank and it continues to drain it, you end up down at the bottom, which is a horrible place to be. And that's the nervous breakdown. And that's, that's when you can't function. That's when you lay in bed and the drapes are pulled and the lights are off. That's when depression sets in. That's when you don't feel like even I don't want to waste the energy to breathe. You know what I mean? You just get so down because everything is draining you. So you have to identify what drains your tank and what fills your tank. Because you're going to, as a Christian, it's going to leak out eventually. But how many of you know that sometimes certain things can make that joy leak out of your life quicker? For example, I, here's what I want you to do. When you go home today, take some time and say, Lord, okay, I'm looking at this. I can maybe see myself in one of these levels. So what drains your tank? Maybe, and I'm just going to make something up because I don't want to 
pretend like I'm talking about somebody, but let's say, let's say that um, um, confrontation. Let's say that what drains your tank is confrontation. Oh man, I can't handle confrontation when I got to tell people something that they need to know, but I don't want to be the one to tell them, but yet you're the only one that can, you know? And you know you need to do it, and so you're like, oh man, and you just start to get worked up. I hate this. I don't want to do this. And it just starts to wear you down. It just, that reservoir just goes, and starts to shrink on you. Maybe it's um, whiners. Maybe you're like, man, I can't handle people that whine. Every time I hear somebody whine, it just sucks the joy out of my life. I want to just get as far away from them as possible. You have to learn to identify the things that drain you quickly and then act accordingly. But you also have to identify what, what fills your tank. Well, what do you mean by that? This can be both spiritually, yet it's meant to be practically. I do devotions. That fills me spiritually. I spend time talking to God. Maybe not as much as I should, but as much as I do. And that helps me. But this particular exercise is practically. What fills your tank? Maybe for some of you, you're like, oh man, if I could just get away from it all and just go for a walk along the river, just by myself, it's fall time, the air's cool, I can just think and let it all just, whew, you know, just kind of shakes off. If you'd say, yeah, that kind of fills my tank, that, get, that, that makes me energized, that kind of, I feel better about myself when I'm done doing it, then that's what fills your tank. For me, I like to watch tennis. Uh, I, I like to play tennis. I don't play it as much as I used to, but I'll watch that. Movies, I like movies. I'm the kind of guy that can go to a movie and watch it by himself because nobody's bothering me and I can sit there and just enjoy and think and, you know, and process whatever I'm going through. There, there's many different things that you do, but here's the challenge. If we are going to be a people, knowing that we will face pressure in this world, we must dream once again. We must be willing to pay the, the, the price, but then enjoy the ride. How do you do that? Learn what fills your tank, what drains your tank. And when you're at home today, you're asking the Lord that. What is it that for some, and I'm thinking of people that are you know, closer to me and in staff, for some of them, they would say, man, I just love to do uh, painting or artsy stuff or something like that. To me, that would be a drain, right? Me and my wife, we joke a little bit, but she's like, oh man, I just love to paint and hang pictures and go to Hobby Lobby. And I'm like, I'd rather get stabbed in the eyeball with a number two pencil. <laughs> Different. Three words, Ikea, right? I will tell you, though, that I've discovered they have great toffee candy there, so now I kind of look forward to the trips. You see how they can be different? I know this is a practical tool. You're like, this isn't very spiritual. But I'll tell you what, if that tool works, use it. But it's about making sure you get to a place where you can experience more of the, the fullness of not just the joy, but the fullness of the presence of God in your life, because that's been his desire for us. So I want you to, I want you to take some time and start asking your, yourself, remember, what, can, what should I, what can I dream about again? Identify what fills your tank and what drains it, and then just enjoy the ride that God is going to take you on. It was Lisa's birthday years ago. I don't remember when, which one. We went ziplining, the family, and um, I'm not the adventurous one. I've already told you that. She is. And um, so we decided to take her zip lining in Dubuque, I think it was. So kids and I one day took her, and you um, you zip from one location over here. It, when I was looking at, that, I thought, okay, I'll hold my breath, say my prayers, I'll zip over this canyon or whatever it is, get over there, and I can opt out if I want. Oh no, it's <laughs> not the way it works. In order to get back, you got to zip all these other five other lines, you know, and so. I got all suited up and I got ready. Of course, my wife, you know, she's like, woohoo, and she's having a great time. The kids are having a great time. But I was kind of just tensing up a little bit because that's a long way down there. And I'm dangling by a cable and some like, like leather underwear that I'm sitting in. Do I really want to place my faith? And, you know, I struggle and I'm like, all right, these guys know what they're doing. They have insurance. I'm saved. If I die, I'll go see Jesus. You know, I went through all the normal stuff I usually do in my head because I'm weird that way. But all of a sudden, zzz, that went out there. And there was that moment where your heart kind of drops out when it, that little tug on the line. Oh my God. And they, oh, oh, this isn't too bad. And I had fun. All of a sudden, I, I enjoyed the rest of the, 
the ride. I was zipping, and before you know it, I was doing the Titanic. You know, I'd have all my different poses and um, just have a good time with it. I could now enjoy the ride. Do you know that Jesus wants you and I to get to a place that when we dream and we're willing to pay the price to build that character, he says, I want you to just enjoy the ride. Just enjoy the ride. Yes, there will be ups and downs, but I got your back. I got your back. Let me close with this verse and then I'll be done. He tells us in Psalms 46, chapter 1. He said, all the pressures that you face in the world, he didn't say this yet, but all the pressures you face in the world, whatever it is you're going through, I know today that some of you are like, pastor, great message, but you don't know what we're going on, or what's going on in our home. With my kids, with my family, you don't understand a lot of the things that people just, you don't even want to talk about. And it's just, it's hard. Can I just tell you that you serve a God that was completely aware of that before you were. The depth of that void that you sometimes feel, Jesus is there. He's there with you. He's not there just to sit with you and never do anything about it, but he's there to grab your hand and pull you out of it. But you have to trust him and dream once again. Pay the price and then enjoy the ride. Well, what if the, well, something happens to the ride? You can trust God. You can't always trust zip lines. You can't always trust roller coasters, but you can trust Jesus. You can trust him with everything. How do you know that? He's willing to go to the cross for you. That's why we celebrated this today. Here's the last verse, Psalms 46. God is your refuge and he's your strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, we will not fear. Say that with me. Therefore, we will not fear. Sometimes you got to hear yourself say it before you'll even believe it. But he says, I, I'm the one that has your back. You don't have to be afraid of anything. The only thing you have to fear is not being willing to trust the Lord and dream once again. But he said, this is your refuge. He's your strength, a very present help in trouble. My prayer for us today is that you will leave this place having permission to dream once again. And then you'll go and you'll ask the Lord, Lord, what fills my tank? What drains my tank? What is it that I need to, where is the character that I need to build so I can fulfill the dreams that you put in my heart? In Jesus' name, amen. We pray with me, Father. I thank you for your word. And Lord, I, I just want corporately to say, forgive us for when we stopped dreaming. We stop dreaming because we get scared. Sometimes it's because we look at the cost. Sometimes it's because we just feel like we don't have the energy or maybe we don't feel like we're smart enough. Whatever it is that we bought. Jesus, forgive us for remembering the most important thing. You are our creator. And you know how we function best. Help us to dream once again. Help us to see us the way that you see us. And may we choose joy in a world that looks for disappointment. Lord, we, we choose joy. Help us to see that, we ask in your name. Amen.